Well, <clears throat> it's that time of year I know you've all been waiting for. Thanksgiving dinner has concluded. Hopefully you had a good time with family, friends, ate some good food. And then it seems like we don't even get a break, do we? Because immediately following, love it or hate it, it begins. Over the next 30 days or so, you're going to hear a slew of Christmas jingle, see Christmas movies and advertisements, Advent, buffalo plaid, decorations galore, nativity scenes, all to celebrate one single day in preparation for Christmas. Now let's, let's take a quick poll because we know how effective that is at changing people's minds. Uh, who says that as early as November 1st, you can bust out the Christmas decorations, put up the tree, and start listening to Christmas music. Okay. <clears throat> There's a little battle between first and second. First service said that was okay. Now who's with me and says, you got to wait at least till after Thanksgiving. Okay. And then don't be shy. Who are my ball humbug brothers and sisters out there? Somebody. Okay, we got one. And then who says any time of year for the Christmas music and holiday cheer? All right. Who, someone was watching Elf in, in July or some other Christmas movie, I bet. Well, Christmas is the most popular holiday among Americans, with about 85% or so in some form of participation. That's more than Thanksgiving, Easter, and even that good old American holiday on Independence Day the 4th of July. And church attendance goes up during the Christmas season with more people doing online searches, visiting churches, streaming online, all just to see where they want to celebrate on Christmas. And get this, among non-churchgoers, there was a recent survey that said 57% would attend a Christmas service if they were just invited by someone they knew. So what's in us that opens us up during the Christmas season, maybe more than any other time of year? Is there something that people are waiting on, hoping for, waiting in anticipation and expectation for? And will you and I be open to the opportunity to put aside our worries, our fears, our anxieties, and shine light in a world that's constantly trying to blow out the flickering flame of hope? Will you and I be ready to share the hope and the joy that is within us. Well, today marks the first day of Advent, which traditionally is a time that's set aside the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And Advent is a time of anticipation and preparing for the coming of the Lord, to prepare our hearts, our minds, and to focus in on Jesus. And we recognize what was, what is, and what's to come. Hi, my name is David Bessenbacher. Uh, great to be here with you today. Uh, we are starting our Advent series, as you can see, with the lighting of this candle. And then if you haven't got an Advent devotional, I think there's some still out in the lobby, and you can follow along uh, through this season. But let's pray. We're going to be talking about waiting on the Lord today. Lord, we're just so thankful to uh, be gathered here in fellowship to lift up your son, Jesus. And uh, we're going to be looking at thousands of years of prophecies and promises all fulfilled in your son. And as we look at those, may we 
be reminded that you are a God that keeps his promises and that you do things just the way that you said you will do them, when you say you will do them. Lord, be with uh, everyone here. Open up their hearts and minds. We just ask for the presence of your spirit. And we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to know where we're going, often it's good to look back and see where we've been. And since the beginning of mankind, God created us to be in fellowship and partnership with him. He gave us the command to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And God said that it was all very good. But not too very far into the creation story, there's a problem. Man fails to wait on God, rebels, and breaks in partnership with him by listening to the serpent in the garden and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequences are that sin enters into the world and that we have separation from God and there's death. And our greatest grandparents, Adam and Eve, were rebuked and cast out of the garden. But in that very rebuke, God gives a glimmer of hope that one day the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And so the solution is, is that we will be waiting on God's deliverance. And for now, the waiting begins. And sin and darkness do multiply on the earth, and all the thoughts of man are evil. And God decides that it would be just best to wipe out mankind from the earth with a flood, because everything they did was evil in thought and deed. But one person and his family would find favor with God. If they would just trust him and build an ark, he would have mercy and save them. And so Noah, trusting God, builds an ark, even though it had never rained before. Then just like God said, the whole earth floods. And we start over with one man and his family. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time of God's redemption. Or maybe now we wait. Sometime later, an elderly man by the name of Abraham, who has no children, is told by God that his descendants will be more than the stars of the sky. But maybe out of impatience or just not really understanding what God meant, he takes matters into his own hands, and Sarah, his wife, gives him an option that God did not intend. And so he makes him wait another 14 years before Abraham, who is 100, and Sarah, 90, give birth to a son named Isaac. And then God asks Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And though Abraham was willing, God stops him and tells him this in Genesis 22, verse 16. <clears throat> By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Well, eventually, Isaac grows up, he gets married, he has a son named Jacob, who works seven years to marry a woman he loves, comes to find out that he was tricked into marrying the sister. My question always is, really, how dark was that room? Uh, but <clears throat> he does get to marry Rachel as well, but he agrees to work and wait another seven years. 
And uh, through some convoluted events and a lot more waiting, Jacob eventually has 12 sons. And somewhere in there, he has a a late-night wrestling match with God. And God says, I'm going to change your name. And it's going to be Israel. And through you, I'm going to build a great nation. And so, through some more convoluted, convoluted events, his family ends up in Egypt. And before Jacob dies, he gives some words to his son, some parting words. And to one in particular son, he said this in Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. But for now, we wait. And the 12 sons of Israel multiplied in Egypt over 400 years and became a large number of people. However, because of their numbers, the Egyptians enslaved them and started persecuting them. And a man named Moses sees an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Hebrew, and so he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. But it wasn't the right time. And so Moses is outcast, and he waits in the the desert or the wilderness for 40 years until God calls him to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses leads them to the edge of the promised land of their forefathers to become that great nation. Before Moses died, he told the people that God will raise up a prophet like him from among the people that will have the words of God in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything commanded of him. And the people do move in to the promised land, and they grow as a nation. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is the promised time. Or maybe now. We wait. Some time passes and a young shepherd boy is called back from his work to be anointed in front of his brothers as king of Israel. The problem is, Israel already has a king that wants to be king. And so he wants, to, wants David dead, and David ends up hiding into the, into the desert, and we wait. David does eventually become king, and a promise is made to him that a descendant of his would reign over God's people forever. That is a really long time, in case you were wondering. But for now, we wait. And David did trust God in the desert as as he waited to become king. Later, as most of us know, he fails to trust and wait on God. And the repercussions of that choice eventually leads Israel's kingdom into a civil war, and they're divided into two kingdoms. And the southern kingdom, Judah, holds to the idea that the line of King David should continue on the throne. And there were times where they were trusting God, but most of the time they were failing uh, to trust him. They were falling into sin and idolatry, and at times it looks pretty bleak for them to continue to trust the promises of God, to where at one point there was an attempt to kill all the royal family of David, and they were succeeding. It was down to just one baby, and this baby was hidden in the temple for six years and then presented as king at seven years old. That was King Joash. But like the story of too many others, he grows up and turns away from God, and the people follow in the steps of their leadership. And God continues to send prophets and warn them and call them back to him. 
But for whatever reason, they would just not listen to his promise of deliverance. And some time passes and there's another king and God asks him to trust him, to ask him for a sign that any, anything you wanted, anything to confirm it, nothing from heaven down to earth below would be too big. For whatever reason, King Ahaz refuses. But Isaiah, the prophet at the time, says, well, you're going to listen up anyway. And he says this concerning the future king to come. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, they didn't listen. Their nation is eventually conquered and their places of worship destroyed and they go into exile. And in Israel's demise, when it looks like there's absolutely no way for God's promises to come through, there's a few who continue to wait and trust on God and his promise of deliverance. And in Daniel prays, and we're reminded of the problem in Daniel 9.5. He says, but we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. Then Daniel is visited by the angel Gabriel. And we're reminded of the coming solution of God's deliverance. And this is paraphrased from uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 26. That a time had been declared to put an end to sin and atone for guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That the anointed one or Messiah is coming at a designated time after the building, rebuilding of Jerusalem. However, this Messiah will be killed or cut off from his people, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And Daniel trusted God's word and plan, but for now, we wait. And after a long period of waiting in exile, the people are allowed to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And if you remember in our uh, recent Nehemiah series, shameful plug, you can go back and listen to that on the Church Center app, uh, they're, they're able to rebuild the wall and the city. And as the people are coming back, maybe they thought this was it. Maybe this is the time that God had promised to the prophets and to David. And at the end of the book of Malachi, which if you notice is the last book in your Old Testament uh, writings, it says this in Malachi 4 verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And as we close the Old Testament, now the waiting's over, right? No, we wait another 400 or so years before we open up into the pages of the New Testament. And even then, if you think the waiting's over, there's just a little bit more. And it's just about to accelerate. And I'm going to pull some things out of the first and second chapter of Luke. But remember that up to this point, all of Israel, all of humanity has been waiting for thousands of years in hope and anticipation of God's deliverance. And maybe some gave up hope that it was ever going to happen. Maybe some forgot it was going to happen. Maybe some just wondered what happened. 
And maybe some created their own picture of what it was supposed to look like. But there were a few who would trust God and be open to the way he said he would do it when he said he would do it. If we look at Luke chapter 1 and 2, there's three people we can see given a season of waiting and asked to trust God. The first is Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who, as Luke puts it, were advanced in years. I think that's maybe around 50 years old or something. I'm not sure exactly. (laughs) But, uh, (coughs) sorry. Um, Luke puts it... Luke puts it this way in Zechariah. So that, it wasn't me, it was Luke. Uh, so Zechariah was serving as priest in the temple, and he's, he's visited by the angel Gabriel. And he's told this to him and his wife, uh, that his son will be named John. And this is what he, what he says in Luke 1.17. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And for whatever reason, Zechariah wasn't trusting God in that moment, and he asked Gabriel for proof. And even though Zechariah was intended to wait anyway, now he's going to wait with the proof that he asked for. And the angel Gabriel says, because you didn't trust God, now you're going to wait Uh, And you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. And everything that God said he would do is done. And so Zechariah waits until the day his son is born. And then everybody's telling Zechariah and Elizabeth, hey, you should name this baby, you know, Zechariah Jr. after Zechariah. And so they ask Zechariah, and he asks for the writing tablet. And he says, no, I'm going to trust the Lord on this one. His name is John. And he was able to speak again. And then everybody was like, wow, what, what child will this be? Somewhere in that time, there's a man by the name of Simeon. And he's told that he will not die until he sees the presence of the Lord's Messiah. And maybe he's thinking, well, how long am I going to live, Lord? We've only been waiting since shortly after the creation of the world. And so he waits, anticipating, trusting God's plan. And when he does see Jesus, he rejoices that he can finally die. Maybe his back or his teeth hurt or something. (laughs) And then a young Jewish girl by the name of Mary waiting to marry Joseph, who she was promised to. She was also visited by the angel Gabriel. And she's told that she's going to be with child and that she's going to name him Jesus. And then Gabriel just goes off. That he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary... Question? Uh, I never have done the thing that makes the whole baby thing happen. (laughs) And uh, Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High, that the child will be called Holy, the Son of God, that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary, trusting God, says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done just according to your word. And then Joseph, hearing this from Mary, now pregnant, is probably processing this with a whole host 
of emotions. Not quite sure what's going on. Maybe not sure what to do. He's thinking of just putting her away privately. And then he's also visited by an angel in the dream. And he's told, don't fear taking Mary as your wife. Because everything she says she, she said is true. And this baby will be named Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And this will fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That a virgin will conceive and he will be called Emmanuel. God with us. And God had a plan to deliver us before creation ever began. And for generations, God's people were waiting on a Savior. And Jesus was to be that Savior. The Bible Project puts it this way. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I just gave a highlight reel, just scratching the surface of the stories that encompass thousands of years of waiting on promises and prophecies, all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And there were times of excitement and anticipation for what God was going to do. And there were times of wondering if God was actually going to come through with his promises of deliverance and do what he said. And there were times where the people became apathetic and about God and his promises. And there were times where maybe they forgot or just wanted to forget all about him. But I encourage you, go back and lean into their stories and experiences because like them, we have our own stories of waiting on God. And just like them, there are times when the anticipation of waiting can bring excitement. But there's also times when it comes with frustration anxiety, stress, and sadness. And it's in those quiet times of desperation that we have a choice. Do we continue to trust God and wait on his promises? Or do we take matters into our own hands and in our own timing? So it begs the question, what are we waiting for now? If we're called into fellowship and partnership with God to go forth, to be fruitful and multiply, for example, to make disciples of all nations, then there's probably work he's prepared for us to do and to accomplish as we walk through this life. And we will have the opportunity to wait and trust on God's timing to shape us into the people that he's called us to be. There are also things we are waiting for to come. Jesus said he has gone away to prepare a place for us. And that one day we will be with him that we'll be with Jesus, and one day we will be like Jesus. And I don't know exactly what that will look like when all that time comes, but I can promise you this, it will be better than we can possibly imagine. And whether it's the collective waiting on Jesus' return or something God has put on your heart to wait on him for, history proves God will keep his promises and do just what he said when he said he will do it, just the way he said he will do it. History is also full of examples of people in and out of the Bible who didn't want to or stop trusting on God or waiting on God. And let's face it, trusting God in the long game can be hard. And maybe we think, is it really worth it? Is it ever really going to happen? But God is patient for our sakes, desiring that everyone should repent. He wants to comfort his people, 
and he gives them hope of restoration where heaven and earth come together with Jesus as king. And we have to come to the conclusion that through it all, God's strength and mercy is needed. And without him, we are hopelessly lost in our own sin and condemnation. The good news is that this Jesus, an offspring of Eve, a fulfilled promise to Abraham to bless all nations, the Lion of Judah, a prophet like Moses, a descendant of King David, was born in a miraculous way through the Virgin Mary. He grew up and he kept all the laws and commands of God perfectly. He was prepared by John the Baptist, or prepared by John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he blessed the people. He was presented as king and messiah, but rejected by his, his own, being handed over to be put to death on a cross, appearing in that moment to have accomplished nothing. He became an offering to atone for and put an end to sin, guilt, and death. He conquered death and rose again into everlasting righteousness to be crowned as king, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Joy to the world, the king has come. And God has delivered on all his promises and prophecies of deliverance that separated us from him. Now it's up to you, to us, to put all our hope and trust in him. Jesus is our hope right now. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for all the prophecies and promises that are fulfilled in your son, Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, but he rose again in righteousness. Lord, if anyone here doesn't know the saving grace of your son, Jesus, I just ask that you open their heart and their mind to him, um, that they know that you love them. Lord, thank you for the beginning of this Advent season as we walk into just preparing our hearts and minds on you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.